With great ability comes great accountability. We watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We are the film fellas. We watch random movies that you love, hate, or have never heard of, and then we talk about them. I'm Greg, and if I were a rich man, all day long, I'd bitty bitty bum. I'm Nick, and I took a year of ASL and don't remember anything. I'm Caleb, and I still have the Cadbury Flake jingle stuck in my head from last week. I'm Robbie, and I went for a hike today. Let's get into it. said we are the film fellas this week we watched spider-man into the spider-verse this was caleb's pick caleb tell us a little bit about this movie i will greg this movie came out in the winter of 2018 and i was super hyped to see it i found out about it like late 2017 and from the moment i heard about it i was so hyped to see it Uh, i've been a big fan of the character miles morales and i have to say when i saw it in theaters my sister and i I was not disappointed. This movie is directed by co-directors Bob Prisicetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. It's written by Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman. And it stars Shamik Moore as Miles Morales. Fellas, are you ready to do a one-sentence summary? Yeah. Let's do it. Why not? Pick the order, Caleb. All right. I will go first, and then we'll like pick up the rest of the order. So Robbie goes next, and then Greg, and then Nick. My one-sentence summary, keeping it simple. I laugh. I cry. This movie moves me. Excelsior. Very nice. (laughs) So for this movie, you really got to try and think of what the core of the universe is. So you have to have the fortitude for you to see the fortune of the universe. 42. (laughs) Okay. I see what you did there. I see. (laughs) You pulled it in the end there. I was was a weird champion the whole time, but you pulled it together. (laughs) My one sentence summary is... You know that meme with the two Spider-Men pointing at each other? It's like that, but with six Spider-People. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Literally, in some case. Yeah. Right. Mine is, so it's Black Spider. Needless to say, I keep her in check. Uh, sorry, it's a good movie. I just, that song is stuck in my head. It's good. <laughs> it's a was that, your, that was your summary? Oh, yeah. My summary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew. Ding. <laughs> All right, now we're going to get into our synopsis where we're going to go over the plot one by one and we're going to try to remember all the things that happened. It's a pretty dense movie. So let's see what happens. Spoilers ahead, people. This movie's about two years old, so it's one of the fresher ones that the fellows have gone over. Spoilers ahead, anyways. The synopsis timestamps will be in the description below. Our movie starts off by a quick introduction from Spider-Man, a.k.a. Peter Parker, He's been saving the city for about 10 years. And as soon as we meet him, we meet Miles Morales, a young kid who's going to a new school, some sort of a private academy. He's pretty resistant to it, but his dad and his mom are really encouraging him to go. So he decides to go anyway. And uh, he has a kind of a rough first day at school at this private academy. So he sneaks out and goes to visit his uncle Aaron, who's a little bit more supportive of his uh, graffiti art, let's say. And he's sort of a second father figure, if you will. So Uncle Aaron and Miles go... Mentor, as it were? Yeah, mentor. So Miles and Aaron go to a little spot in the subway where Miles throws up some of his art. And before he leaves, he gets bitten by a spider. Fellas. So he gets bitten by a spider and then he smacks it off of his hand and the spider falls and dies. And he carries on and 
He uh, heads home. When he wakes up in the morning, he feels kind of dizzy and he notices that uh, he's grown like maybe he hit puberty because all of a sudden his legs are long his arms are long and he's like okay but I gotta go to school so he gets to school and he gets into an embarrassing situation with this girl that he likes because his uncle said hey just put your hand on her shoulder and say hey, hey everything's gonna hey. work out great and uh, it does not and actually everything's sticking to him so he doesn't know what he's, what he's trying to do so he can't let go of everything so it's the classic Spider-Man intro of like oh no what am I gonna do everything's so sticky <laughs> that's one way of putting it then so he's freaking out, trying to figure out what to do. And uh, he's like, oh, my gosh, this is just like Spider-Man. And I'm in a world where Spider-Man exists. So I'm going to go try and find out what happened with that spider. Because I'm sure it was just a normal spider. And it's all in my head and everything is fine. So he books it down to get into the place where uh, he got bit. And he looks at the spider and the spider is changing colors and it's all creepy. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, this is totally a radioactive spider that I got bit by. And then uh, he hears in the distance some rumbling and he goes through and he finds out that there's this giant like Hadron Collider down there and Spider-Man is fighting to destroy it because it's going to blow up the world or cause a black hole to appear. And Spider-Man's like, no, you can't do this. And uh, the kid's like hiding in the corner and the Spider-Man's like, you're like me. Oh my gosh, there's another one. Don't worry, guy. I'll be here for you. I'll be your mentor. Everything will be great. And then he promptly gets killed. And then, so now it's like, oh no, Spider-Man's dead. What am I going to do? And so now he's running away from Wilson Fisk, who's playing the Kingpin, who's like, go and kill that kid. And he runs away and uh, he's crying basically because of, of this funeral and everything's happening. And he's just miserable. Fellas. So he's like, I have these spider powers, but there's no one to teach me what's going on. Spider-Man is dead. So he goes to this costume shop and buys himself a Spider-Man mask where, you know, eventually the suit fits because you can't return it. We'll get to that later. He goes to the big address from the city where Mary Jane Watson talks about her husband, Peter Parker, and what a great man he was. And he's feeling blue, so he goes to the cemetery and checks out Peter Parker's gravestone. And he sees the shadow behind him, and it looks like the Prowler. But turns out it's not the Prowler, it's some other guy. And he goes, hey, kid. And he turns around and he shocks him. He flies backwards. And the body flies backwards and it shoots a web at him. And he's like, who is this guy? He looks like Peter Parker, but more different. And it turns out it's Peter B. Parker, who is from an alternate reality. And then the cops come and they're like, hey, kid, put down that body. And he's like, we got to escape. And they go through this whole comic thing where he's running with while being attached to this unconscious body and swinging from subways and all kinds of good times. Fellas. So Miles and this new Jewish Peter Parker. Miles takes him, puts him onto a boxing. Oh no, a box, a, a punching, punching bag. bag. That's it. And his uncle Aaron's place. And he ties him up and he starts to interrogate him. Who are you? What is this? Really like basic questions. And then he goes, are you like another Spider-Man from a different universe? And he goes, wow. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I am. Anyway, he breaks free, sort of pushes Miles away. Like you're, you're not ready for any of this. He walks out. He's like, oh, I have to go figure out this whole collider thing. Miles is like, hey, I made a promise. You have to take me with you. And Peter Parker is just like, no, nah, I'm good. He walks He walks away. He starts glitching because apparently his atoms don't like being in a different universe. And then Miles guilt trips him by sitting on a wall sideways, being like, oh, I guess you're just going to leave, huh? You leave us all day? And then Spider-Man takes 180. He's like, fine, I'll help you. And they go to a burger joint. And he makes Miles pay for him because he's not liquid because... Him and his Mary Jane had broken up, and now he's just a very sad Spider-Man. And they go to Alchemex, the people who made the goober, which is what the thing's called that they need to destroy the super collider that's under the city where Kingpin is, fellas. The Miles in this new Spider-Man, Peter B. Parker, go to get the goober. 
they do their best, but in the end, they have to take the whole computer that's got the access key on them. And it looks like our heroes are licked after a pretty exciting chase with Miles's version of Doc Ock, Olivia Octavius. But then they get saved by another Spider-Man. This is Gwen Stacy, the girl who Miles' hand got stuck to her hair. So now she's got like a rad haircut. So Spider-Man, Miles, and Gwen, they all go over to Aunt May's house because they need to make the goober. And they discover that three more, so now there's six total Spider-People are already at Aunt May's house. There's Spider-Man Noir, there's there's Spider-Ham, and there is a a girl called Penny Parker who has a psychic link with a spider who uh, controls a giant mech. Built by her father. Yes, built by her father, specifically. So they all formulate a plan to destroy the super collider, and Peter B. says, oh, you know, someone's got to stay behind so that all the rest of us can go home. And Miles says, no, I can do it. But... He's just gotten his spider powers like two days ago, so he's really not ready. And the gang sort of excludes him because they don't want to put him in harm's way. So he goes over to his Uncle Aaron's to seek some more support, fellas. In this time, uh, we've noticed that each of the spider people seem to have slightly different abilities based on the Spider-Man universe and how each, or multiverse now, each of them has a different take. Well, in Miles's case, he apparently can become invisible because he has camouflage from his camouflage spider of multicolors that bit him. So he's in this uh, apartment for his uncle and he's writing a note to him because he's like, I don't know what to do. You know, I've always trusted in your advice and, you know, please help me. But as he does so, he sees a shadow on the wall and it looks like it's the guy that killed Spider-Man is outside. And he's like, oh, no, the guy who helped Fist um, get him all killed. It's coming through the door. What's his name? Prowler. The Prowler. Prowler. Shit. <laughs> the character named the Prowler comes into the building and uh, is looking around his uncle's apartment and he's like, oh no, why is this happening? So he becomes invisible and he sneaks down and he hides. And then all of a sudden, William Fisk calls the guy and he's like, don't worry, sir. I'm going to find this new guy and I'm going to kill him because you know I can. And he takes his mask off and <gasps> it's his uncle Aaron the <gasps> whole time. So now he's freaking out because, oh my gosh, my uncle's the killer. And uh, he has heat sight. So he turns on his heat sight and he can see him. And so he runs and it's big chase scene between Miles now trying to hide his identity from his uncle who's chasing him to try and kill him. And so they go through all this. They're fighting back and forth. And then uh, at the very last second before he gets killed, his mask gets pulled off and Aaron sees him. He's like, it's Miles. And now Aaron's like, wait, I can't kill you. And then Wilson Fisk is like, aha, time to kill him. And so now he was whisking his nephew away because he's still confused. And he gets shot. And so now he's lying there dying. And he's like, uncle, no. And he's like, oh, I couldn't kill you. Ah, and dies. And now he's like, oh, no, my uncle is dead. I don't know what to do. And so he takes off and he goes back to his dorm room where he's crying and freaking out because, you know, he just lost somebody very close to him. And he doesn't think that anybody will understand. And then through his window comes in all the spider people who are like, yo, dude, you can grieve. Grieving is a normal process. This We understand. We all went through it with, you know, something similar. You know, I've lost someone. I've lost someone. And it's a very touching, heartfelt moment where they all kind of bond over the fact that they all have relatable grief. Fellas. So they find out that they have to put the goober into the thing to open up the portal so that they can all go back to their respective universes. But somebody has to stay behind to destroy the portal. And they all volunteer because they're all Spider-Men's spider people, as it were. <laughs> and they all have that responsibility. And Miles is like, no, this is my universe. I can do this. And they're like, you're not ready yet, kid. So Peter B. Parker is like, I'm going to do it. And he's like, no, I need to I need to be the one to do it. He's like, if you feel like you're ready to be Spider-Man, then Venom strike me right now, which is what they call the electric shock he can do. And he can't do it. He's like, well, then turn invisible right now. Can't do it. 
all right, then you need to stay here and we're going to take care of this. And so Peter B. Parker ties him to a chair and he starts to protest and he shoots a web over his mouth. He's like, we need to do this. We need to take care of this. We need to save the world. So all of the spider group take off and they're all sad because they wanted Miles to succeed, but he just couldn't couldn't pull up for this one part. And as they all leave, Miles' dad comes to the door and he's like, Miles, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you about your uncle and how much I've missed you. I haven't seen you in a while and I care about you. And there's this whole heartfelt thing, but he can't answer because his mouth is covered by webbing. And it's, it's this beautiful, like, I love you, son. You don't have to say it back, which is a callback to earlier. And he leaves. And then that's when he suddenly gets the urge. He's like, I gotta, I gotta do this. And he does the venom shock and he blows all the webbing off of him. And he goes back to Aunt May's house and she's like, what took you so long? And they get him this dope spider suit and he climbs to the top of a building. And he's like, it's just a leap of faith. That's how you know you're ready. And he literally does a leap of faith off the building in the dopest scene and all the glass shatters and he starts to fall, but then the camera reverses. So he's going up as and he's literally rising to the challenge. Fellas. And that was his origin story. Wow, really cool. The other spider people are now at Kingpin's place. Wilson Fisk is a lame name, and he's a big <laughs> box boy. So we go to Kingpin. He's having a party to celebrate Spider-Man, pretending like he's um, a cool cat with him, but he's the one who killed them. But no one else knows. It's sort of dramatic irony for, like, Aunt, or, um, ooh, Gwen. Oh, no. Mary Jane. Uh, MJ. Mary Jane. There's so <laughs> many girls in the Spider-Man's life. It's great. And the other spider people are like, oh, we have to go in there because he has an elevator down on his, um, big building all the way down to the basement where his super collider is. And in the party, all the waiters are dressed as Spider-Man, which is honestly very distasteful considering they invited Mary Jane to this party and are just reminding her anyway. They're like, how do we get in? And then Noir, Spider-Man's like, I mean, look what we're dressed in. And they walk out and they just like put bow ties on. They're waiters, waitresses, because Gwen's with them. And Penny. Penny's under the table in a spider mech. Peter B. Parker, back in his origin story, he broke up with Mary Jane. It was a rough marriage. He tries or has a weird conversation with the other dimensions, Mary Jane. And it's about bread, but it's really about relationships. But they don't get into that and they don't get bread. <laughs> they go down to the super collider. Oh, no. Oh, it's, it's going off. Oh, no. They're trying to put the goober in. Octavia comes out of nowhere, Doc Ock. And then all the other villains that were at the house, there's, there's Scorpion, there's the Prowler. No, Prowler's already gone at this point. Uh, ooh, uh, there's Solomon Grundy, who apparently has pistols. Is this Solomon that's, Grundy? That's, that's a DC Stone. character. No, yes. who is that guy? Yeah, Tombstone. Tombstone. That's Tombstone, and, okay. Oh, uh, Scorpion. Scorpion, and, yeah. yeah. Scorpion and, and Doc Ock. And they have a big battle. There's no Miles there. And all of a sudden, Miles comes out of nowhere and then fellas. So Miles comes in to save the day. Our heroes start vanquishing. Uh, How all does the he other... come in to save the day, Caleb? Uh, well, like why? Him. You know, he comes in all sneaky, invisible-like, and then right at the last second, he reveals himself with a heroic punch. Whap! Or pow, depending on uh, your preferred <laughs> comic book onomatopoeia. So the spider people start giving the other guys the business, and Miles is able to send everyone home. But Peter B. is still like, oh, no, I don't want to go home. I've I left such a mess back there. And Miles is like, you got to go home, man. And so Peter B. agrees. And he's like, mm, not bad, kid. And Gwen and Miles agree to be friends. And then Miles has a final confrontation with Kingpin, which doesn't go so well. Miles gets hit pretty hard. But like all Spider-Man, he gets back up and he takes the fight back to Kingpin. And his dad is watching also because he came to respond to the call. And Miles thwips up Fisks and... Hangs him up for the police to collect. He has a final talk with his dad and his dad. The two of them establish a new understanding and they go and make a mural at the police department in honor of Uncle Aaron. 
and Miles accepts his new responsibility as the Spider-Man of New York. The end. Good job. We Yay. did it. I didn't think it was going to be as long of a synopsis, but I guess it, it, it's kind of a dense it's movie. It's a dense movie, yeah. 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 <laughs> Fellas, I love this movie. I don't know if you could tell already, but I love this movie. I don't know where it would go in some sort of ranking if I were to rank my favorite movies, but let me tell you, it is up there. I would like to establish some sort of baseline. What was your all's first impression? of it and i saw and- this movie three times in theaters so that tells you <laughs> yeah i think it's the best spider-man movie like Agreed. hands down like by far yeah. I-, I saw it twice in theaters once in regular and then i'm like i have to see it's an imax and then i saw an imax and the second it's like IMAX. the roof jump scene and he's upside down bro music's going it's just tears of like he's done it he's oh he's gonna try to flex on me i saw it in two states <gasps> oh shit! <laughs> oh, I saw it on Netflix. <laughs> this though, I've only seen one other movie multiple times in theaters. The fact that I went back to see it in theaters was like, damn, that's some good stuff. <laughs> I gotta get more of it. Robbie, what nope. about you? What's your first impression? From my first impressions, because I had no idea about this going in, mm-hmm. I have opinions, and those opinions are that. This movie was a goddamn delight. Damn, I, I loved it. Robbie, I was so nervous all week. Was, all week, I was trying to prep Robbie my points. Robbie has point. a soul. I know. I so yeah I, yeah, I had to play that up. <laughs> for context, for the listeners, I had texted and I was like, "I have opinions about this film," and I stayed as ominous as possible. I really don't like a lot of superhero stuff, but this was amazing. I can't wait to start gushing about it, but just, ah, uh, there's so many things. And the, no it time opened, like the present. Gush away. Yeah. Well, it, it opened up so well and mm-hmm. artfully. And the thing was, it establishes tone immediately. The artistic design, the stylization, if anybody's played Persona 5, you know how the everything in that game is, is like a graphic design uh, buffet. It's beautiful. It all works together and it just drips and oozes style. This movie is the exact same way. So everything is cohesive, but at the same time, it's bright, it's neon, it's colorful. The sound design, the art direction, it was gorgeous the whole way through. I cannot wait. Like I want, I didn't want to watch it too many times because I wanted to stay fresh, but I cannot wait once this is over to watch it again and just enjoy the display because yeah. yeah, And I I was, it's so fantastic because it's written or it's drawn like hand drawn and comic mm -hmm. booky style, but still has that 3d CGI kind of effect, but it's got like the, um, the Bende dots and like the halftone dot art style, kind of like when a comic might be a little misprinted. So the dots don't necessarily match. Mm -hmm. And it's all this old comic book style. And I love just like little panels will come up of comic book styles for like a frame two or three. They'll just be this different entirely art scene in the middle of an action scene. Like when he's jumping in front of the subway train, it's just like, that's my favorite. Just the three frames. frames. It's so great. It'll just change that color palette right up. And you're like, oh man, wait, freeze that. I want to put that on my wall there, there and there. I was trying to think of like how they do that in like live action. But I'm like, yeah, I, don't, I don't care. It already did no. happen here. <laughs> yeah. The best thing is like they didn't. There's a cohesive color palette throughout the whole show of blues and pinks and purples. But it oh. is so bright and dynamic and contrasting as it's hitting each other. It basically like 
I don't do drugs at all, but I wonder <laughs> what this would be like to watch while high because mm. it's so trippy. Like this looks like one of those psychological weird films from like the 70s, only good and great and very bright. So I don't know. I could just ramble. Yeah, like I when the other universes start to invade Miles Morales' one and it's like very cubist and people are like, is that a Banksy? I think that's a Banksy. <laughs> <laughs> weird shit around. Very colorful. Great uses of reds and blues because Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything looks like a comic book. There are literal comic book panel inserts after he gets bitten by the spider. Yeah, he starts really thinking nice word bubbles detail. and thought boxes and everything spectacular i just love the the use of focus in this because mm. it's all drawn it's not like camera focus at all so like in the beginning miles like most of the world around him is out of focus like especially when he's in the car with his dad and yeah. when i first saw this i was like are my eyes like dying because i had 3d glasses on glasses mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you <laughs> me i had 3d glasses on keep that in that's hilarious and it was <laughs> It, I was like, are these things working? What's going on? And it takes a while to get used to, but like you're seeing it through him where he's not paying attention to anything. And the only thing that's clear are like art and when he sees Spider-Man on the TV. Yeah, yeah like the animation yeah. style makes it so that instead of it just being blurry, it's like the two phases are shifted off. So it looks out of focus, but also blurry at the same. It's, it's hard to describe in words, but... <laughs> Mm-hmm. It takes a while to get used to, especially if you're watching mm-hmm. it in 3D. Nick, I, I had that same experience, and it was right during that part where, like, in the, the fourth the minute. Party? Yeah, when they're driving the past the phone shop. Park, like, oh, look, there's a new coffee shop. On Netflix, I, I was watching it, and I was like, this had to have been 3D. But when there were certain scenes where it kind of blurred out, when it first started, I was wondering, like, oh, no, did I choose, like, the wrong setting? And am I watching this in the wrong setting? But then... I realized like, oh no, this is an intentional stylistic choice that they're doing. And I was like, okay, good. And as soon as like I made that realization, so I wasn't like struggling with it and just let my eyes relax. It was like a kaleidoscope without even having to wear 3D glasses. So I I loved that. It had that sort of trip to it, which I mean, the animation was very fluid, except when it wasn't. And when it wasn't, it was intentional. And that was the thing. Once I realized around maybe the 40 minute mark of how competent these animators and the designers were, I was like, okay, so if there's any issues I see, if there's any jitteriness or anything, it was intentional. And I'll watch the rest of this while having that in the back of my mind. And it opened up a whole new dimension of this show because I was like, oh, like as this is going down and getting darker, like the the colors are beginning to run, the colors are beginning to mute out. And it wasn't time saving, they did it intentionally. And I was like, uh, I love when they do nods like that where they don't have to call attention to it because they trust their audience to be smart enough to pick it up. It's wonderful. Yeah, there's a great animation technique that they use where you can either animate on ones or twos, which is where you can animate something every frame or on twos where you animate every two frames. So you kind of double up. It kind of saves on animation costs, but it gives you a little bit more jittery things. And where it really stands out is after they're running from Doc Ock at the Alchemex lab, Peter B. Parker, who has been Spider-Man for a while, is animated on one, so he's very smooth and fluid. But Miles Morales, who is unsure of himself, is animated on two, so he's a little more jerky. But as Peter B. Parker is like, you gotta hold, flip, release, hold, flip, and he teaches him to be Spider-Man, and eventually he goes from being animated on twos to animated on ones, and they're like fluid and smooth together, and it's just great little touches like that that really make this movie stand out. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. I was gonna ask. 
that was I so cool because <laughs> <laughs> i you could definitely tell during that and so like i had no clue i have no clue about like the ins and outs of animation i love animation but i don't like know the terminology and the technology behind it but in that scene it was like your brain kind of fills in that gap of like oh he's matching now so it's slow when he becomes like the same and it was like in sync it's kind of like if you're watching synchronized swimming or ice skating with the olympics mm. and you see how they like they catch up and all of a sudden they're in the same path and that's what yeah, i was yeah. thinking this whole time i was like this is like a i'm watching a ballet or something and it's so yeah, they cool. just get in the sync. choreo was amazing and then the actual ballet dancer shows up i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. speaking of ballet i really like the touch on spider gwen's costume that she has like the ballet slipper type aesthetic and then the first time we see her she walks up and puts her feet in first position yeah. uh like right when she's like she takes off uh, her mask like hey guys <laughs> i was watching something where he's walking through the halls of the school on the first day and you see oh no, it's when he first gets his spider powers and his pants are short and everything and you're seeing mm -hmm. his feet as he's stumbling around in the background you can see gwen's palais slippers just in the background like not called attention to but just to mm -hmm. show that she's part of this school part of this world and everything is just so planned and rich and beautiful yeah the, they're, i think they're in her locker right like what they're on her feet oh they were yeah. oh yeah, she's wearing. This movie just reeks of passion in every single oh, yeah. corner, in every single aspect of movie making. And that is just one of the many reasons why I love it. Another, another reason is this movie's just hilarious, right, guys? It's not just me. I, oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm, funny. I'm like mad at myself, but also like I keep laughing at the same jokes, and I've seen this like 10 times now. Yeah, I think I'm at <laughs> around 10 as well. Jesus, Porky. Oh, no. Peter Spider Parker, Ham. right? Spider-Ham. Yeah. Spider-Ham. John Mulaney's delivery on some of these lines are quite so nice. Good. Also, the it's comic great. style of, like, the contrast of the, like, Warner Brothers animation style compared to, like, this new, like, super modern thing. It's just funny. Like, he, he first comes up and he's all wet. And he's like, I just washed my hands. That's the only reason I'm wet. And, like... No other reason. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. It's Robbie, does the... that character kill you because everything about him was a pun? Oh my god, yeah. Uh Peter I, Porker, the, the Daily Beagle. I mean he was a spider bitten by a radioactive pig. <laughs> I, I love I, I love uh John Mullaney anyway from you know his his stuff on Saturday Night Live. So I, I love it, but at the same time, the whole time I was like, oh, oh god, oh the puns. And I just kept going. Bring up the different animation styles. I like how each character has their own animation style like penny parker is super anime she looks like a flat hand-drawn character and it's insane spider ham looks like a or Warner brothers character and he has more goofy stuff like anvils and mallets spider noir is all black and has the wind constantly and the wind smells like rain and all that great stuff mm -hmm. which brilliant piece of casting a overall but having nick cage as <laughs> spider mm -hmm. noir Yes. Yes. Like, oh my god the it's the way. guy from the wicker man reboot <laughs> do you guys realize that 2018 was the year that nicholas cage played both spider-man and superman in the same year he played superman in teen titans go to the movies ah. because like for some reason he's always been like low on everyone's list for superman back in the day i don't quite remember but like Everyone was always like, mm, well, maybe Nick, maybe this Nicholas Cage guy. I just no, thought it was, was really... almost in a Spider-Man movie. He was cast in a He was almost in a Superman out. movie. Okay, yeah, that. Yeah, so he... Yeah, there's he a whole documentary be... about the failed production. Oh, okay. I'm not up on my documentaries. But yeah, I right. just thought it was like sort of interesting that he got to be both in the same year. Both yeah. in animation, but... 
And speaking of the animation of the different Spider-Mans, when they're fighting Scorpion, who's a fully CG character, it's so nice how like fluid it is in the combat. Because it's just like these three different types of 2D animation fighting a 3D guy and everyone has weight to them. Mm-hmm. Even like the anvil that drops on it. Well, actually that was still CG, but he pulls out a mallet mm-hmm. and like the shape of the mallet changes based on like the trajectory of it. And it's, it hurts yeah, it's very like to think about how they stretch, have like traditional animation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Penny's eyes never stop like shaking from like the classic anime, like kawaii eyes. <laughs> yeah. Sparkle eyes. Yeah. And Kimiko Glenn as um, Penny amazing casting choice which all the spider people had great casting john mulaney has that amazing delivery and nick you already said nick cage but i didn't know that was nick cage the first time i saw it and i was looking at the credits i'm like what the hell <laughs> that was the cage boy yeah, this, that's this the is rad cast god everyone is spectacular lily tomlin as aunt may mahershala mm-hmm. ali as mahershala uh, Aaron. ali i want him oh to read me God. bedtime stories every single night <laughs> hey. like, he's he only has like three scenes as aaron davis but like mm-hmm. when we get to that moment where miles is holding him and he's like you were the best of all of us miles just keep I going cried today while watching it again <laughs> It still Don't hits cry. you. There's something about his voice and his characterization. He brings such a dimension to those three scenes that just make you feel for him, even though he's been the bad guy for the whole movie. It's definitely for that first scene. The yeah, first in the- scene really sets it up, their relationship, like how much of a second father he really is. But speaking of which, this speaking time I like, really scene. pay attention to his scene. This movie requires you to lock, watch it many times over to get all the details. So many. First of all, he has a picture of him kickboxing. The Prowler is doing Taekwondo and kickboxing, uh, or Muay Thai, I think that's what Muay Thai, called. yeah. Yeah. He's also wearing a purple undershirt under his white shirt. Very faded purple, but yet purple. His Ooh, couch nice. is purple. Ooh, and his ringtone, when he, they do graffiti down the street, his ringtone is a very quiet version of the Prowler's sound. Which is oh, a nice sound. I listen to it eight times over, and I'm like, holy shit. Oh, my God. Also, I believe, if my brief research is to be believed, in that first scene when we first meet Aaron Davis, he's watching an episode of Community. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. uh, That has Donald Glover wearing a Spider-Man outfit, and Donald Glover plays the same character, Aaron Davis, in the MCU in Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. That was back when, in 2010, there was an online petition to let Donald Glover audition for the Amazing Spider-Man movies. That's right, yeah. He brought he it up in a stand-up special, special like, yeah. everyone's yawning at me for trying to be, for people wanting me to be Spider-Man. They're like, what if a white guy played Shaft? And he's like, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's such a great, because it's not called attention to at all, and it's just a quick scene of just Donald Glover in his Spider-Man pajamas in Community. Okay, guys, so the writing of this movie was amazing, but especially as someone who has never really enjoyed a lot of the classic superhero tropes. Like, it's not that I don't like them. It's more like they they get dry really quickly. And for example, with some of the old Spider-Man movies, which I did not like, they tried to hold it too seriously. Like they were, they were like, oh no, this is very, you know, down to earth and realistic and we're playing this through straight. What this movie does is it allows you to have your cake and eat it too. And the good thing about it is that for 
someone who's not familiar with a lot of the lore, with someone who isn't really into like all those tropes, I could still enjoy it because it was just funny. The satire was clear, but it was loving. It was more of like a loving parody rather than like a biting satire of it because it was still so enjoyable. And even though I'm not someone who consumes a lot of the media, I could be like, oh, okay, this is something that's obviously happened a lot that they're kind of correcting on. And it called attention to it in a couple of ways, but it doesn't hammer you over the head with like, oh, this is a fresh take. It's just, these are our takes and you can take them how you will, which I well, really enjoyed. So great the humor- for fans of the movies who have seen them and who have seen the Spider-Man origin story so many times, every time they reboot it, you're just like, all right, we're going to do this one more time. Run through it real quick. It's over. We've seen it. We know what's going on. I also mm-hmm. like that the first Spider-Man is clearly the Raimi Spider-Man because he does mm-hmm. all the scenes from the Raimi Spider-Man movies. Yeah. <laughs> we also like there's a double from they do a quick shot of him on a bridge in the Jesus pose holding cars up, uh, which is a quick homage to both the amazing Spider-Man and Homecoming at the same time. So knocks them both out, right? One, two. Which is also yeah. a great joke because that every time someone says their origin and Let's do this one more time. One it's more never time. one more time. <laughs> it will be several times. Oh, I meant to ask you, were any of those like the extra spider people, like were those actual comic stories they were based yes. on? Like I could see, really? Yep. 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 Oh my Spider-Man God. Spider-Man has been around for so long that they've spun him off in several different ways. <laughs> I love that. Cause I was thinking, I was like, I don't know any of these. So I might, like it might all be fake and I'll say it and they'll be like, no, dude, they're, they're obviously all fake. But I was like, I would love for these to be real because, oh, my God, I'm like, um, so happy. Uh, Spider-Ham is actually like <laughs> darker than they made him like come off in this version. Mm-hmm. It's actually like worse than like noir Spider-Man. Seriously, that was it's one super too? dark. Like like he showed up for like Civil War or something. Oh, nice. No, I don't think it was Civil War. It was um, there's another like big comic book thing. Almost Civil War, like all the characters come together. Well, then like, Civil War 2, maybe. I haven't read that one. The Electric the first single, I've, I've read the first Marvel Civil War. And uh, Penny Parker's character is also, like, not quiet at all. It's more like Ghost in the Shell type anime. Mm. Of, um, this is more well, like, I don't know, Card Captor Sakura or something like that. Yeah, well, I know when John Mulaney was doing his voiceover, they're like, have a lot of fun with it. Oh, so yeah. he threw in a lot of curse words and stuff. And he's like, wait, what is this rated? Like, well, it's going to be PG. Oh, I should, we should clean this up. Which I think is why all the characters aren't as dark, because it's, it's mm-hmm. a PG movie. Yeah. Which, by the way, fellas, I think this is the... This, well, this is the second PG movie we've ever watched together, I believe, because Poltergeist is technically PG. Technically. But this is the first kids movie we've watched. I don't really count Poltergeist. So this is the first PG movie. <laughs> because if PG-13 existed, it would be PG-13. I yeah, think. Definitely. Yeah. And yet it's so enjoyable, yet it's so clean. Mm. Makes me wonder, do movies have both to exist. be dirty or adult to be great? No. No. Well, and it doesn't have to be sanitized either, because Peter Parker dies. They talk about Uncle Aaron dies. Mm-hmm. And there's these really heartfelt, real moments of things that it's not just puppies and rainbows and good times. It's There's real human interaction. There's real emotions and feelings. Peter B. Parker has his whole backstory of Mary Jane and I broke up because she wanted kids and I didn't. And then he forms his bond with this kid. And I love at the end, he's like, wait, do I want kids? Because <laughs> he's like, had all this time, he's like, yeah, go Miles, you did it. Yeah, that part's so sweet. 
when he's just like, I love you. I'm so proud of you. A little bit of every time. <laughs> it's, oh, it's great. And the, the best part about it is like, it stays within, like you said, like a PG zone, but it's mature enough that this is something that you could really watch as a family and get different layers from without having it be like, you know, gated off to where it's like, oh, well, we have to throw in some jokes for the parents because they're forced to watch it. No, it's integrated into the entire story to where even children and adults will both enjoy it for its own merits without having those gates of like, well, wink, wink, nod, nod, but this is, no, just because of the mature themes of it, the adults can still like it even without those being peppered in. Yeah. And yeah, it, it just, it's really good. I can't wait to watch this on the big TV because I watched this on my computer and then partly on my phone when my computer Ooh. broke. But doing a disservice like the to big, yourself. I know. So I finished watching this and I was like, I cannot wait to go into the house and watch it on an actual television set, you know, with all the colors and everything, because it'll have better graphics than my computer running off of my Wi-Fi. I had read that the creators wanted the movie to be, they wanted to inspire kids to grow up to be heroes. They wanted to inspire adults to help those kids grow up and just everyone can be great. Everyone can wear the mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Stanley quote at the end. Shall we get into the the scene in the costume shop? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yes. It's Stan's costume, which is delightful, where he buys a Spider-Man costume from Stan Lee. And he recorded that before he died, right? Yeah. He did, yeah. Last performance. Mm -hmm. He was less voice. He was well enough to do a voice recording. The fact that he passed away a month before this movie came out when Mm -hmm. that scene hit and Stan just said, I'm going to miss him. I just started bawling in the theaters. Like, oh, Stan, I'm going to miss you. Mm -hmm. I I still do. I do love that cute part where it's like, it'll fit eventually. It has to. And it pans over to the side, like no returns. Yeah. (laughs) Like um, (laughs) classic, like smile shine on him. Yeah. Yeah. He's all over this movie, actually. He's like, he is. Yeah. He's like peppered into a bunch of the trains. Even if it's for like just two frames, you have to pause it real quick. Be like, oh, there he goes. I saw a mustache <laughs> and some white hair. There must be Stan. Uh, yeah, animators were like, oh, we want to put him in this movie. But each scene is so disconnected based on different animation departments. So everyone's like, I'm going to put him in here as a, as a little Easter egg. And <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We'll throw him in everywhere. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, he also he's also is, the guy. Okay. Yeah. I think we're about to say the same thing. He's the guy that steps over Peter B. and Miles when they get done with their first chase. Like, maybe you could just go around. Oh, okay. Thanks, New York. And he's the one who's <laughs> on the phone stepping over him. Yep. I want to talk about Peter B. Parker's character development. First of all, Jake Johnson is the perfect voice for, like, run out Peter Parker. I love so, New Girl. Again, and- inspired <laughs> casting. <laughs> it's yes. just Nick, but um, with responsibility. And just the total, like... Not hatred, but unwillingness to open up to anyone because he like he's been through the business like what twenty five years. Yeah, he's been no longer so long. He's been beat down. Yeah, it's just a job, and he he talks about how he broke his back and stuff. Though Spider Man does have a healing factor, your body gets up there. Mm -hmm. And then when they go into the vent the first time, when they go into um, Alchemex, and he talks about how it's weird having someone on my job not trying to kill me, which makes me wonder: is his Spider Universe? He's the only superhero. He never met anyone in 25 years. It makes me wonder. Maybe. (laughs) It leads you to wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because each universe is a little bit different, so it's very possible. Yeah, I don't think Peter B. is from 616. I don't think think so. Because this one was 1610. Yeah. Or no, 1601. 
yeah, Miles Morales is usually not in the main Marvel Universe, the main Dimension 616. So see what we're talking about here, Robbie. There's yeah. so many different dimensions, <laughs> which is why there can be different iterations of Spider. Yeah. People. Oh, so that that's canon? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, big canon. Oh, my God. Um, I am Marvel so confused. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the thing about comic books is that they can just reboot themselves so often and then make it canon by saying it's a different universe mm-hmm. or a different timeline. So, and they've been running for so long that people are yeah. like, well, let's do something different. Mm-hmm. And this is why I hate Spider-Man Far From Home, because probably spoilers ahead if you're going to watch that movie. Spoilers ahead for Far From Home. For Far From Home. Good. They totally uncanon that it's Earth-616. Oh, they uncanonify the multiverse yes well maybe well but he told okay mysterio mm-hmm. talks about how he's from earth 616 mm-hmm. this is where you skip ahead 30 seconds but that was a fucking lie <laughs> he yes made, to show that he's a untrustworthy character yeah but he said 616 did he i don't remember he which did. he's like we're from earth 616 yeah. so it makes you think it's uh, totally okay. the multiverse and then it turns out no it's just them trying to get back at the stark boy yeah so, so um, anyways, let's, uh, so we don't that's okay. Spoilers. Peter B. Parker. Yeah. Before I do that, I, I wanted to say that uh, as a testament to how good this show was, show. I am, I honestly want to find the universes these characters are from and watch them or read them because now I'm actually intrigued and I haven't been intrigued about a superhero type film thing in forever. So happy so far. Yeah, I'm going to try and figure out like how to do those. So that's why I removed my headphones for the last two minutes of that spoiler so I can stay fresh. So that, that's why so I'm you, mentioning it. I'm like, oh, okay. You remember when they go into the spider layer in Aunt May's backyard and they have all uh-huh. those suits? Yeah. Also different iterations of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. One of them, the really? Spider-Man PS4 suit, which I I'm, saw that. Which was yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm really stoked. <laughs> and it's going to be out by the time this gets released. Probably, but they yeah. just confirmed that the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse suit is going to be in the Miles Morales Spider-Man. So that's going to be really exciting with the um, oh, sick. with the on twos animation style and everything. It's mm. really sweet. You're talking about in like the PS5 game, right? Yes. Yeah. Looking forward to that. No Miles Morales game. Yep. That'll be sweet. The villain like designs from this universe are amazing. Scorpion is like a real scorpion. He looks like the the half spider, half ape thing from Spy Kids 2. He does. But he with a so- tail and bionic legs. And then Doc Ock. I always thought that'd be such a cool idea. Her tentacles are like some Vacuum form of like, pliable rubber. Yeah. Instead, because I'm like... Yeah, they're like way more organic than metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't restrict you as much. Because at one point, when you're bending any sort of like thing with links in it, there's a point where it's going to block and stop itself. This one... It's so much more versatile. So I love the part of the movie when they're about to get into the lab and he's walking through, you know, saying what he's going to do. And uh, he mentions like, oh, no, that girl right there. That's the head scientist. <laughs> he's like, get the oh. head scientist. <laughs> yeah. He, so he's approaching the guy at the computer and he's like, well, actually, the girl that with the bike. Yeah, that that's actually the head scientist. So he's like, oh, I'm going to reexamine my personal biases. But the cool <laughs> thing is that it's called back to so shortly thereafter because we're watching this we're like oh no she must be you know this this nice scientist you know the sweet person who's just being worked too hard because of our own internal biases of like oh she must be you know the damsel in distress and then she's like talking to him is like oh no like straight up i am also a villain and uh yeah you let me just get you into this position because you didn't think i could be but by the way i'm now doc ock 
Which normally isn't Doc Ock a guy. Yes. Yes. Okay. Which, fun fact about this, if you watch it again, her glasses are octagons. And really? the lights in her lab. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're all Oh octagons. my gosh, you're right. The they one he's stuck into. to. Yes. Oh, that's really cool. I cannot wait to watch this. <laughs> I love how she goes, my friends call me Liv. And then when they break into Aunt May's house, she goes, oh my God, it's Liv. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's been canon many times that the Doc Ock that's male gets with Aunt May after Uncle Ben dies. Oh, really? really? He's, that, he's a that, lot that of times a mentor figure to Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Especially, especially before he goes full Doc Ock. They did set that up in the Sam Raimi too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, but then it took over his mind instead of him just being crazy. So because he's such a common character, I don't think it's too spoily because it's basically like... Spoily. Well, spoilery. Yeah, but no, it's, it's like... A, I like it. Yeah, but as a character... Doc Ock, like, what's his deal? Like, on, on a very surface level, so I have some idea. Because all I know is from memories of question. watching part of the Doc Ock movie, and I just, I hated it, and because it was boring, so I turned I it off. I think you mean Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Yeah. It's about him which sort wanting of hurts, to pursue really. his scientific exploration, and then people saying that what he's pursuing is unethical, so he has to get the funds himself to do his different experiments. Yeah, it largely gotcha, depends, gotcha. but that's the general idea, unless Greg has something Yeah, a there. lot of Spider-Man villains are more low tier. They're more about funding their research or their own petty things. Mm-hmm. Or to become uh, living energy if you're Electro. Yeah, they're not so much about taking over the world or the universe, or it's not quite as high stakes, which is why he's always referred to as the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's a little... Down to earth. Not lower in rank, but like... He helps he, the little guy. He deals with stuff in his neighborhood. He's yeah. yeah. He will fight mm-hmm. characters who are not trying to wipe out half of the the mm-hmm. population just, of the universe. Which just, by the way, that's like maybe my second favorite part of Homecoming is when he's just giving directions to that old lady. Like, are you going to go down? And then you take a right. Like, that's Spider-Man. He just helps absolutely everyone. Yeah. And he just leaves his backpack in the alleyway, gets a sandwich, having a good time yeah. by helping people. And like, in the scene where Kingpin and Doc Ock are talking and Kingpin's like, okay, my collider. And then Doc Ock is like our collider, but that subtle intonation because of what they're wanting is like you said, it's not like grand world. She just, it's the science of it. It's the knowledge that it's hers and that she can continue on with it, which I've always found is very interesting villain archetype because it's someone who's like, obsessed with knowledge and continuation rather than, you know, just, I want to take over the world. Because that's what a lot of mad scientists get stuck into that mold. And it's very boring because there's only so many ways that you can do that to have like a kind of reasonable antagonist who's not just, you know, crazy. It's great in the scene before that when they're like, kid, you turn invisible and get the password. I'm going to seduce her. And she's like, Peter Parker, I saw you die. And she's like real interested scientifically. It's like, oh, let's get a swab of your cheek. And like, oh, what's all these things? And then shoves him into the chair and locks him down. He's like, if I know anything about this, your atoms are probably not doing very well. What do you mean? And glitches out. And she's just so excited by the science of it all. (laughs) She's like completely distracted to a floating computer right beside her and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because she doesn't see it at all. She's just obsessed with what's going on. Can I give a Nick pick quickly? Sure. I suppose you can. We know it's canon that she has fought Spider-Man before because Aunt May knows Liv and she's not surprised by her being the octopus lady. 
yet her face is plastered on Miles's school thing. Yeah, they're watching the documentary. So they're knowingly showing off a villain who we know is a villain because she's not wearing a disguise at all. Uh, Are you well, sure they fought? Here's the thing. They could have fought in the same way that Kingpin and Spider-Man have fought. Like, there's never enough evidence to convict or to connect the two of them. So mm-hmm. it's probably likely that, like, Spider-Man and his allies know that Olivia Octavius is Doc Ock and that she's a villain, but the public might not know. You know how Lex Luthor is allowed to be ambassador to UN and all, and all this nonsense? Yes. Even though, like, he's constantly accused of being a baddie? I think it's like it's, that. See, the thing, Nick, is that Doc Ock puts down the goggles and nobody knows who she is. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's green goggles. It's, I can't. it's anti-Clark Kent. You, instead of taking off the glasses, you put on the glasses, no one knows how you are. And then or that's my version last of that John Hughes trick about this film because it's amazing. Why the hell does he have issue one of Spider-Man, where it does say Spider-Man's name would be Peter Parker, but then everyone is shocked to hear that Peter Parker's identity when he dies. Does it say Peter Parker? Because I read a thing comic, that said yes, it introduced in the, as Peter Parker in the sh- movie. It's written as Billy Barker because while Spider-Man is a real character in this movie, the writers of that comic book didn't know who he was, so they guessed on a name. Oh. I don't know if that's true. I didn't look into it that hard, but I read that. Also, there's no Comic-Con in this world, apparently, according to in that his one universe. throwaway joke. Yeah, yeah in, yet. But in Peter yeah, in Parker's universe, there is. <laughs> yeah, yeah so is that one closer to ours? Rappers, probably. Album. Because mm-hmm. they have Coca-Cola in Peter B. Parker's dimension, but they yeah. have Cola Soda in like, Miles' dimension. Chance the Rapper's like, he has a three on his hat in our mm-hmm. universe, and that yeah. like means something like close to him. Yeah. yeah. Those are like but his... now it has a four. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they got permission for that. Seems kind of... I don't know. It does come up often enough. But guys, 42 we're comes get up all the time. Yes. Yeah. Which, I looked it up because it was bothering me this time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was always just Jackie Robinson, his number, but yeah. it was also... Um, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Yeah. The answer to everything. Life, the universe, and everything. Like, I didn't know about the Jackie Robinson because I'm not a sports person. He does sports, right? That's a sports. Jackie Robinson was a <laughs> was a very famous baseball player, and his number was 42. Played for ah, okay. Yeah, I am. in Brooklyn. Uh, I am not into sports. He was, um, you're right. He's a sports he's person. African he played American sports ball. Or the first, like, good one. Sports ball, yes. Uh, he was the, the first widely known. Yes. Who's the first widely known African American? There are some play. some baseball player. Baseball, yes. Discrepancies, but he's the one that most people say. With mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman. But speaking of all the changes in the universes, yeah. fellas, let's talk about background jokes. Whose list is bigger? Let's play like Boggler's categories. If I have one, I'll check it off my list. I'll okay. just sit back. I mean, and enjoy. I assume we have the same because we, that's we what the jokes do. are. Yeah. So when he is in the Times Square, there's uh, amazing jokes in posters and billboards form. A uh, good one is the Broadway show Hi Hello, which is based off of the John Mulaney and Nick Kroll <laughs> passion project Oh Hello, which I is great. It's one. on Netflix. Check it out. Spectacular. It's Funniest thing I've ever seen. There's a poster for From Dusk Till Sean, which is uh, you know, play on Sean of the Dead. Check. Delightful. Uh, Snapchat is apparently called Pickaboo in this universe. <laughs> I have that one. Pick-a-boo. Oh, God. Uh, there's, a, there's a movie poster for Baby Shower, which is in the vein of Bridesmaids in this one. Check a Rooney. 
Uh, there's uh, Planet Inglewood instead of Planet Hollywood, which is a suburb of L.A. Oh, I do not have that one. Point to you. I like there was uh, it's the New York Red Sox in this universe, which I'm sure pissed off a lot of people because New been. York and the Red Sox are not big fans. <laughs> and one of my favorite ones is there's a movie poster for Clone College, which apparently is a sequel to the series Clone High, which as for those who might not remember, is by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, which is an animated series about how way, way back in the 1980s, secret government employees dug up famous guys and ladies and made amusing giant copies. And now they're clones, they're sexy teens, and they're going to make it if they try. Learning, laughing, sharing, judging. It's time to laugh and shiver and cry. Clone high. <laughs> it's so oh my. good. <laughs> <laughs> Little shout out to the brothers uh, for no one else. Uh, you got crabs, ass face. That's from the show. <laughs> It makes sense if you've seen the show. Mm-hmm. I also have... <laughs> uh, my dang it. <laughs> I also have, there's a poster for Kitten Heels, which I assume is Kinky Boots. I saw that too, yeah. Yeah, that's on my list. So I have one point and you have like three. <laughs> <laughs> Plus one. Good, good to you, sir. There's also a Seth Rogen movie, but I couldn't find what oh, yeah, halt, its parallel was. I think it was just a Seth Rogen movie. Yeah, like, so I didn't write see? it down. Oh, uh, another one I saw. There's the red man group instead of the blue man group in this yeah. universe. <laughs> oh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. And they have, so, uh, yeah. they have red X clever instead because of FedEx. Spider Man, red and blue. Oh, shit. <gasps> oh, dang. They lucked out with that one. If they were the green man group, they wouldn't have been the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they wouldn't have done it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love in, um, when they're escaping Alchemex and they go into the cafeteria and they all plug all the doctors or lab yeah. workers pull out guns and one girl just like looks up shrugs and goes back to drinking coffee instead of helping mm, it's like <laughs> uh not today it's like not again that whole bagel this is a, pretty funny i get my bagel and then i get out i was so enchanted by everything going on and all the colors and all the sounds and everything i would have to watch this so many times to even come close to catching up but like i just i didn't see any of the background basically because all i was seeing was like Basically, it was candy for my eyes that just got tossed in there repeatedly <laughs> until the end. And I still don't remember like everything happening in the background. But like this. That's fine. Uh, it's You'll so like exciting. Said, watch it again. It'll be great. Yeah. Speaking it, of bagel, when Miles throws the bagel at someone, the sound effect, instead of like boom pow, it just says bagel. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's a I loved the bagel. <laughs> I love the sound bubbles and the words and the comic book styling happening after he gets bit. It's it's great. It reminds me of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World because they try to do comic book yeah, and comic live action. Too, yeah. This is just like comic book. Yeah, that's what it would look like Yeah, if they did a live action version yeah. of this. It would yeah. be Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> It'd be uh, Edgar Wright just going to town. Yet it flopped in the box office and it pissed me off. So guys, let's talk about the very obvious theme of expectations in this movie. There's multiple references to the book Great Expectations. When he does his painting in the subway, it says no expectations. A lot of expectations are thrown onto Miles from his familial expectations, both as a young African-American and as a young uh, Puerto Rican, because he's biracial. He has the whole school expectations because he's in this prestigious academy that he won a lottery to get into. And, you know, he's cool with all of his old school friends. He's Mr. Smooth. But as soon as he gets into this school, he's back down at the bottom of the social rung. And obviously, the expectations of being Spider-Man. That's rough on top of all of your life and everything else. And also the expecta- um, expectations comes up a lot, but especially with the father and uncle storyline for Miles. 
the expectation of who your father figure should be because his uncle seems to be stable like before we know everything that's going on like he has a stable household you know he has his own way of living that is different than his brothers who is his father who is a cop who is more like more straight laced but neither of them are really set to be like incorrect so he has these two father figures that he's balancing between what are the expectations that he has to grow as an artist in his uncle's eyes to be more like his uncle but also because of who his father is try and like be upstanding citizen walk forward like that and having to balance those two expectations of what he has and the movie does a very clever thing near the end because we know as the audience and miles knows aaron's true identity that he was not this you know a perfect guy he was a villain he had these flaws and these problems but at the end when he gives that painting where he's my uncle aaron who he was to me as he represented is who i'm going to be honoring here by painting him on the wall and so miles is going to continue to have that walk toward that expectation as well without the pressure because a lot of times movies will do that and be like oh well i have to hate them now because, you know, they're just an evil villain. But no, who he was to him as a mentor figure is still valid, and that's who he's honoring at the end. So I like that. Agreed. Who else wants to talk about expectations? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was, I'm just, it just feels like a, a word salad, and I'm trying to process. I'm trying to digest. On the theme of expectations, it sort of didn't occur to me at first that that's sort of like the underlying theme through all of it. I mean, I did get like the, the whole thing about responsibility, but expectations definitely goes with that. And I okay, just with think- great responsibility comes great, great accountability. That's not I'm even what I'm saying though. I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which did they, oh no, they did finish the, uh, the, with great power comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben says it in the beginning, right? But no one else says it. Miles says it. Does he? He says it to um, Peter B. Parker. And yeah, but he doesn't finish, right? No, he says it, and then Peter B. Afterward just like says, "Don't try to." No, he didn't finish. He didn't finish. We, he, didn't. Got, he only got it with great power comes great. So anyway, that was just an aside. More for people who have, who have seen this movie upwards of five times than than <laughs> on our first time. So sorry, Robbie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm um, I'm still happy. This was amazing. Yeah, speaking of, I, I want to give my take on the great expectations before we do it pass on by that. I feel like it also shows off of where to set your expectations for the world, especially with the spider family. They understand as much as miles has these expectations to be Spider-Man to be like, to immediately jump into the life of being the neighborhood boy. He has to step back and figure out the basics before he tries to jump into doing the super collider thing, which is why no matter how much they wanted him to be able to like get that spark moment, when Peter B. Parker sweeps his leg and Miles has to come to terms with the fact that he can't turn visible, he can't shock people on command, and they're all outside and they're let down, but they understand that bringing him with them would have meant that he could have just died. Very quickly, as it were, considering he is 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's why Spider-Man's my favorite superhero, because his down-to-earth approach to all the stories that accompany him really open the window and let you watch your life and not just some Hercules. I love the very real thing. He's like, all right, 
Spider-Man, I gotta just try this out. So he runs up this tall building and he looks off the edge and the music's all blaring. Yeah. And it just hard cuts to him walking back down the stairs with no music. <laughs> that was great. Ah, smaller building. Let's jump off that one. Yeah. <laughs> More great expectations. And then he ties Did his shoes the- later. Yeah. He does. It was on the cover of the book. It's got someone putting their hand on someone else's shoulder. Oh, yeah. Hey. On Great Expectations as the yep. shoulder says, hey. hey. <laughs> Great ending, by the way. <laughs> Learned something from my uncle Larry. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Gives him yeah. the strike. Like, Extends with. Oh, man. I love how no character is ignored in this movie. For the most part, everyone gets like their teensy little arc or they all get some sort of depth to them. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and on several return viewings, you get more and more of their story. So like on a first viewing, you might just get like, you know, Miles and Peter B's, but you keep going back and you're like, wow, you know, Jefferson or Miles' dad, he's like really trying to connect with his son and he really wants to just be a good father. But he doesn't know how. And Gwen on a, on a re- renewed viewing for me, how she says that in her backstory, her, in her reality, her best friend was Peter Parker. So when she's greeted with this other Peter Parker from a different dimension, she's not really sure how to interact in a sort of a, a weird dynamic so that when Peter B. Parker is trying to talk to Mary Jane, Gwen like cuts him off. Is like, no, trust me, I've been there. You can't do that to yourself. And like that quick little line, yeah, it's is, not your Mary, right? Is Especially just so like, oh my goodness, Gwen makes so much sense to me now. Yep. She also came in before Peter B. Parker to like she knew Spider Man was alive, but she never interacted with him, or else I feel like they would have had the spider sense because he only found out Miles. Anyway, she gets to see Spider Man die again, or Peter Parker die. Dang, to be rough. You're you're right. So speaking of on repeat viewings, there's that wide shot above the buildings where you see the explosion. If mm-hmm. you look real close, you see each of the spider people. Yeah, you can fly see out. all of them. Just well, they all got there run. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Also, I like I saw another poster that I couldn't place until I looked it up. Is there's a poster for the Mary Janes, which apparently is Gwen Stacy's band. Yes, ah. <laughs> I uh, I've I've read some of Spider Gwen. It's good stuff. It's got some rad artwork. Highly recommend. What is everyone's first interaction with Spider-Man, or first introduction to Spider-Man? Mine is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, I think. I had, like, watched, like, one or two cartoons, maybe, on, like, you know, some kid's channel. I'd only seen, like, a couple of minutes of it, and I was like, okay, there's this Spider-Man guy. And then I was, like, just at the perfect age. I was, like, nine when I watched all three Sam Raimi Spider-Mans, and just something about it, it just clicked. I mean, Spider-Man hooks you in from the beginning because his powers are just so, like, thought-provoking. There's something about the thwip. They're like, man, that's just so cool. And, and he's then, so quippy. He's so funny and yeah. just engaging as a character. And his stories are always the best. Mm-hmm. That was my, my first favorite. interaction with Spider-Man was the animated series from 94, as far as I remember, which I watched again recently. Holds up really good. Yeah, it's on the Disney Plus because I guess that they own everything now. Mm-hmm. Except for Homecoming and Far From Home, they're not on there just yet. Yet, <laughs> yeah. And then I, I've always loved Spider Man. I remember eating Spider Man cereal when I was a kid because Spider Man nope. is great. Nick, mine was also Sam Raimi, I believe. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm pretty sure it was Sam Raimi because be a I definitely question. remember Green Goblin being a very vivid memory when I was younger. Mm-hmm. 
but I was more of a DC kind of kid, so. Mm. Well, DC was killing it at the time when we were but youngsters, Nick. They had the Justice League show, mm-hmm. and I Justice bought all of them on DVD and rewatched the shit out of those. Yeah. Robbie, what's your first interaction or introduction to Spider-Man? Oh, I think the PS1 Spider-Man game. Nice. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's what set off this whole downhill slope. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) It was Spider-Man game on PS1? I think so. Probably. I know there's a PS2 game. I know there's a PS2 game. There's a ton of them. But I think it was either PS1 or it was an N64, and it was at my buddy's house, and it was the most boring shit ever, and he wouldn't let me play. So, I mean... Oh, yeah, it's boring if you're watching. Well, yeah. Robbie, forget your entire past, and this is your first introduction to Spider-Man now. I'll, t- I'll take it fresh, because this is a good one. So, I'll just pretend that those memories do not exist. Guys, it's like, what's up, Danger? Right. What? Oh yeah. Let's talk danger. about the music. Talk yes. about that music, both the soundtrack and the scoring. Yeah. Yeah. I've had I as soon as I watched this movie, I had the soundtrack on repeat. Sunflower was my jam. It was on all the time, and I think I just checked it recently. It's got like a billion and a half plays on Spotify alone. Wow. Also, that Christmas album is real. It's an actual EP. You can look up. It's true. They had that joke and they didn't know if Chris Pine could sing and it turns out he could. And they're like, well, let's write a whole album quick. Mm -hmm. But even apart from just the songs, the scoring, everyone has their own theme and there are certain themes that get mixed and interacted and they interact with the music during different parts of the movie. Oh, my God. The sound of this movie is so spectacularly brilliant. Mm -hmm. The Prowler theme is amazing. Well, the first time I heard it, I'm like, that is ear piercing and very unpleasant. But then I realized that's the point because he just chases you and doesn't leave you alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm just sad because I have trains. Um, Penny's theme when she's in her mech, like making the goober the second time or first time, it's not on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. But that also cool she one. has Healy, so she's automatically the best character of this show. <laughs> oh, sure no. I said show uh, of this movie. Uh, we got you. Staying in. So good. <laughs> it's a show. I have to go take a shot now. <laughs> the music for the song that he sings and hums to himself. I know that's an actual song. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's stuck in my head yep. all week since I watched it like two days ago. It mm-hmm. will not leave my head and it is great. I didn't know that. power to remove the Cadbury flake jingle. <laughs> tell you what, and that's a powerful song right there. That was. I want to talk about the end credit song because that is such a bop. Oh, yeah. That oh, it is, slaps. Uh, that's Elevate. I, by... I don't run anymore after injury, but I listened to that to get pumped up. Yeah. Ooh, it is. It's quite crispy as far as music goes. Mm-hmm. Not to mention it paired with the amazing visuals of the like fully. I think it was a CGI oh. animated and the animated end credits are so good. Yeah, dude. Angles. That was amazing. Yeah. That's it one of my favorite great. sequences. Yeah, I was, was just gonna ask actually. Uh, Robbie, did you watch the credits all the way through? Because being Who saw the stinger scene? Yeah, I was like because Robbie, I don't know if you're quite sure or I might just be talking down to you accidentally, so sorry, but generally in superhero movies it's worth waiting till the very end through all the credits because there'll generally be some sort of teaser. Or yeah, something. Particularly Marvel to, movies. Yeah, uh, Marvel movies. I did no. 
You <laughs> okay? So... You missed Spider-Man 2099. Yeah, voiced by Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. So, Robbie, on your repeat viewing, watch the credits all the way through. Okay. Especially I thought that was that the end credit song, was the credit get, thingy. You get the Christmas song by yeah. Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have to see that again then. I mean, I was going to see it anyway, but... What's up with the guard, the security guard listening to the Spider-Man Christmas album? Got a nice season. voice. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's just a sweet jam, dude. Uh, well, it is not necessarily off season. It's snow. It snows in the movie, so it's like winter time ish. It's New York. It's like winter in August. That's fair. But like, does it snow in like spring? It's like in the anti-California. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk briefly about Kingpin's plan. I yeah, wanna... that we did not really bring that up. Yeah, because his whole thing is his wife and son. <laughs> died in a car accident after they like drove away trying to frantically get away from him after they saw him beat up spider-man and they he's saw trying him do to, crime yeah they saw him do crimes and he's trying to get them back from another dimension and it, i was just wondering on a personal level is that something that you would do to yourself well i'm not married or have a kid but mm-hmm. that is heartbreaking he has that line early on where as spider-man is dying he's like was it worth the cost? He's like, it's not always about money, kid. Mm-hmm. Because this wasn't just him trying to get more money. It was him trying to reclaim his family. Yeah. It's always a great dimension to Kingpin, especially in the Daredevil show. Robbie, you might like this because Vincent D'Onofrio plays Kingpin. It is a spectacular performance. Uh, and it's more noir than superhero, just for your mm-hmm. information. But anyway. I like how he does succeed he's about to bring the family back but they see him in the exact same thing with his hand on spider-man's throat and even though they don't know who he is like who is that what is he and they're just terrified of him mm-hmm. and that really crushes him and i think it makes him snap he's like screw it time to kill another spider-man yeah and i love how there's different versions of his family one of them has the kid wearing glasses to show that this is a different dimension yep wow. it's like the hair color has to change but I personally wouldn't really, I, would, I don't think I would do that to myself to try and like bring my family for another dimension. But the thing about if Kingpin is trying to get his family from another dimension, wouldn't that trigger the Kingpin from mm. that dimension that he took his family from to try and get them back? They're just yeah, gonna be like, I think that he didn't exist in that universe because I seem to remember the wife or the son saying, who is this? Oh, okay. Well, I mean... So depending I, on what... Why would the wife still have the son who looks exactly the same? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. he's going for like the Rick and Morty thing where that kingpin just died right then. So he's trying to find versions of the family who no longer have a kingpin. Uh, that's some difficult research to do. Yeah. No, yeah. It's not. Bottom His line... plan sucks. Like, it's not a great plan, but it's like... It's I, heartbreaking I and humanizing. Yeah. The scene... His body's not humanizing and it sort of bothers me no matter yeah, how many box. times I watch it. Not me, dude. He is such a big presence that his body physically matches that. (laughs) The scene where Kingpin is talking with Doc Ock and she's explained to him that, yes, don't worry, we'll get this done and you'll get your family back. You'll get as many families as you want. That was the creepy factor that kicked that in because it brings in the background thought process of this, the, uh, the darker undertone, is if you had an unlimited number of these people you could keep bringing back, 
which that that's a, a plot line that comes up a lot in like clone movies when you have people with clones. It's like, who's to say that he doesn't decide to just kill them and bring back another pair fresh mm. or if something happens to them, he just brings back two more. This and so because it, enough, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it, it's obviously that's not where his head is at, but that's not the focus point. When she says this, when she says you can have as many as you want, it's focused on her. And so my whole thing while I was watching this as well, because I really liked one, I loved her character design, but I really liked her as an antagonist. So I'm thinking like, what is her end goal? Because that is absolutely something a mad scientist would be thinking of when talking about this is the ability to replace as many as you want by just grabbing them from these other universes. So it so becomes a much spectacular, spectacular power dynamic where he's clearly looming over her. So she extends her tentacles up to match eye level with him. And then when she starts to dominate the conversation, she raises herself up a little bit higher than him. Yeah. I, I just, I love like that, that scene. Because it's just, it puts it into perspective that Kingpin, because it is, it's very tragic, but also he's not thinking clearly, obviously, but more so that she isn't, even though it would seem like you said, like he would be in control because he's looming. No, she is in control of this whole thing in my eyes. Like she has this whole thing wrapped around her finger of what she's trying to do, which I like. And she's using Fisk as much as Fisk is using her. And the thing is, we're talking about this scene. This scene is like a minute long. This movie is paced so quickly. I don't know if that means it's good, but like it is just a roller coaster. Just bang, bang, bang. In the first 10 minutes, we meet Miles. We meet Spider-Man. We see Miles going to his first day of school. He goes and meets Uncle Aaron and he gets bitten by the spider in like at least the first 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like it is just here we are and we're off. During that scene where he's painting and we see the spider come down and keep not biting him. I love how it shows that he's going to get the camouflage reflex when the spider goes on the top of the spray paint cans and changes into those colors and mm -hmm. can disappear into the environment. It's a good little foreshadowing because this movie is great. It, it saying, it's Vanessa's fault that she crashed. First of all, Kingpin stopped hitting Spider-Man when she walked through the door. He wasn't going to hurt her. And no. who drives in New York City over 10 miles per hour? That's irresponsible. Oh, those intro logos, by the way, I know it's really stupid, but I loved them. They were great. No, uh, every they intro logo set up what the movie's going to be. And what's yeah. more, that probably is evident of the very first test of the Collider, which is where uh, Gwen came from. Mm -hmm. Ooh, because well, it opens up with yeah. the kid saying, did you feel that earthquake last night? Yeah. So the first collider test happened while we were watching the, the, credits. the credits. Or the, or the gotcha. opening logos. Yeah. For the movie, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I, I loved that. The, the whole logo thing was great because it again i had zero expectations going to this i realized you guys said it was going to be good but i was that's really the best i, I was in a, a negative mindset mm -hmm. <laughs> with so zero expectations it, yeah it just immediately set the stage with the credits i was like oh okay it's this is good that he didn't have great expectations hey ah. oh. <laughs> can i End just with say that <laughs> i hate miles's roommate with a passion because the first night they're there He's up all night with his screen full brightness facing towards Miles. I had a roommate like that for a couple weeks. That guy's a bad person. To be fair, he was doing homework. Yeah, probably. But Right? <laughs> He's on the bottom bunk. Just go to the bottom bunk so your thing's not shining on Miles. Yeah, but it's a PC. Can't no, be. it's a laptop. Because it gets moved later. 
Well, also, his, viewers... his roommate is someone. Well, like this person exists in comics. Yeah, but Miles didn't clean up the like the webs too, so he's also not a good roommate. He got that. Uh, he does a lot of webs. Canonically, those things dissolve in two hours. Mm. Oh, I love how um, Peter B. Parker's too That's lazy to go hit Aunt May's button, so he shoots a web instead. <laughs> yeah, he's so lazy. <laughs> hey, yeah, I think it is Gankly who is from the comics. He originally had a bigger role, but it was rewritten because of Ned. They didn't want to seem like it's a... And that is from Phil Lord's Twitter. So in in the comics, they're like actually friends. So expect to see more of him in Into the Spider-Verse 2 coming out in 2022. I am very hyped for that. So we sort of, I brought this up originally, Peter B. Parker's character development, but we really got off topic, but I just wanted to finish it up with my favorite part of the movie is just Miles asks for Spider-Man advice and you think he's going to give like amazing <laughs> advice, but it's just like slice of life things that he's learned over 25 years. Slice of life isn't the same right word. Whoops. Just right. life advice overall. He's practical like, advice. Practical advice. He's like, disinfect your mask. Baby powder works miracles. Especially in the joints. Mm-hmm. Yes. And finally... They take the bus, and he's like, I'm not going to swing all the way here. Are you insane? <laughs> yeah. It's spectacular. That, that web fluid is expensive. Also, when they're in that burger joint, he's like, this restaurant closed in my universe. I have no idea why, but like right behind him, they have their food service grade. That's a C. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I like I how later why. when the spider team is going to shut down the collider and they're all on the bus. Yeah, they yeah. take the bus. Like, it's practical. They know to take the bus. Mm-hmm. Which I guess Gwen is also... everyone's dressed as Spider-Man. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Fellas, would you recommend this movie? I feel like it's I know the cat. answer, but... It's, it's going to be... Uh, sorry. Oh, I'll go. No. I would shove this movie in their face and force them to watch it. It's not a recommendation. This is like, if you want to watch an animated movie and you haven't seen this, you're doing a disservice to yourself by picking anything else, you little rat jerk. Just going to do a clockwork <laughs> orange and pry your eyes open. And yeah, I'm gonna, I will it. sit there with the eyedropper and make sure you listen. I'm going to go get Beast headphones or some really high quality headphones just so you can hear Post Malone singing Sunflower constantly. And then when we're in the car together, person, I'm, I'm now interrogating them as I'm saying this. The only thing that's going to be on is What's Up Danger and Home by Vince Staples because those are two bots that should be on your playlist. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Robbie, how about you, Robbie? <laughs> I am ecstatic that this was picked because I never ever would have watched this and i am so thankful that i did i definitely recommend it to anyone to anyone period it's very good it's well paced it's funny it has humor you do not have to like superhero comics you do not have to know anything about spider-man you do not have to have anything coming in except the ability to see the amazing colors and listen to the amazing soundtrack as it hits your eyes the plot itself is good it's You can get as much out of it as you want, or you can just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show in your eyeballs without having to worry about, like, the complexities of it if you want. Like, you could watch this on mute with no subtitles and have a great time. It just looks that damn good. You could. A good soundtrack always hits your eyeballs. I would also recommend this movie. It is spectacular. Feast for the eyes. It's got great storytelling. It's got great heartfelt moments. It's got... Beautiful colors, beautiful sound. 
wonderful, wonderful acting by everyone involved. Great casting, great direction, great jokes, super funny, amazing background gags, amazing references to everything spider related. It has a whole Christmas album. Check it out. It's great. It's joy. I saw it three times in theaters. I definitely will watch it again and again. It is spectacular. Yep. And obviously it's a recommend for me. We could make this episode even longer if we wanted to get to everything, but it really feels almost impossible. There is so much good stuff in this movie that the only thing that I can say more is if you haven't seen this movie, you should go and watch it as soon as you can. It is for everyone and it is absolutely amazing, spectacular, and ultimate. I am super pumped for the sequel. Well, that was our discussion of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Next week is Robbie's pick. Robbie, what are we watching next week? All right. So next week, we are going to be watching a movie that I've heard a lot about, but I haven't watched. However, it seems to be rather highly regarded. So I want to watch it with you guys. Fargo. Oh, nice. Owen Brothers. Yep. I haven't watched it. I've heard good things. And I... Neither have I. It seems to be up my alley, so... Excellent. So feel free to watch that movie and listen along next week. Please follow us on all the social media. We are Four Film Fellas. That's F-O-U-R Film Fellas on Facebook and Instagram. Please subscribe to our podcast and give us a good rating and keep listening. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Goodbye, fellas. fellas.